This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm Galina Limorenko, doctoral candidate in neuroscience with a focus on biochemistry and molecular biology of neurodegenerative diseases at EPFL in Switzerland. Today, we'll be talking to Maisie Eddings about her new book, A Brush with Love. Maisie Eddings is a neurodiverse author and dentist. This is her debut novel, which gathered sparkling reviews, such as, quote, A brush with love reads the way young love feels. Maisie Eddings stole my heart with this laugh out loud, funny, almost unbearably cute debut. And she had made me care about dentistry. From Rosie Dannon, quote, An adorable love story. A brush with love blends sweetness, breathless romance, and moments of striking vulnerability. From Helen Hong, and, quote, the most intoxicating slow burn I've read in ages from Rachel Lynn. Well, Maisie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So as we have witnessed the unprecedented times of the recent global pandemic, I was wondering if you could start by reflecting on how has it affected you and your work and maybe some main takeaways that you have gathered from this experience. Yeah, I mean, I, we we all like woke up to a different world one day, didn't we? Um, it's been a whirlwind. I was going to school um, like during, you know, up until the start of the pandemic and we went on spring break. I was in dental school and we went on spring break and then we just never came back after that. Um, I was in my second year, which was mainly um, like didactic courses and stuff like that. And so we just transitioned to an online model. And that was in, obviously, um, March of 2020. And then starting in July, um, I had to go in and start seeing patients, um, dental patients. Uh, and that was like my first clinical experience was kind of right in the middle of all the mass confusion. And like, you know, it, it was a really scary time to have to start doing that. And, um, you know, the levels of PPE and precautions and everything. Um, and just not knowing, you know, this was pre-vaccination even, um, not knowing what we're going to be dealing with or who might have it or who might not. Um, 
so, you know, it totally threw my, my world for a loop. Um, and then it was also tricky because in February of 2022, um, is when I actually went on submission with my book. Um, so, you know, right around Mm -hmm. that time when the world became, you know, so stressful, I was also waiting to hear on, you know, if, if it would get picked up or, you know, I was in the middle, I had to do a revise and resubmit for stuff like that. And then, you know, anxiety is a huge theme of the book. And so, and the world was so anxious and still kind of is. And so there was like a lot of worry on my end too. Like, is anybody going to want to read a book about anxiety when we're experiencing it on such an extreme level now with all of this? Um, But yeah, I think it's just been every day there's a new challenge to learn, uh, you know, living in a pandemic. And we're we're close to two years now, which is just absolutely wild to me. And and I think I I think I value rest so much more than I ever did before and just like giving myself grace and time to rest and stuff and like, you know, wanting that for other people as well. Yeah, that's incredible. So I was wondering, uh, are there any ways that you manage to cope with some of those uh, things? For example, stressful situations in dental school and something that you could take away from it? Yeah, you know what? Honestly, reading um, pretty far and wide in the romance genre, romantic fiction was such a huge coping mechanism. Um, I was reading like a lot of science fiction books and fantasy books as well. Um, And it was just such an escape from, you know, kind of the real world and everything that was happening. And it, it, you know, allowed me to transport and like disconnect from a lot of the trauma and a lot of the pain that we were seeing on a daily basis. Um, And it also just like really taught me to find, you know, joy and like, you know, Piece in in taking the time to do that and like dedicating part of my day to to you know reading or um, you know self care and things like that and I think what I hope that you know a lot of people you know we as a society like experience with this is that we start valuing self care more and realizing how much of our working structure like can be changed and how. Um, you know, we should really put our emotional and mental health first and foremost, um, because life really is too short. Um, so yeah, but uh, yeah, again, reading, reading romance and then writing it too was just a huge escape. And it kind of let me, um, play in different worlds and new worlds where I wasn't, you know, it wasn't happening necessarily. And so it was definitely an escape like that. So you already mentioned uh, dental school. So can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah. So um, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, um, in the U.S., and I, I kind of was a like I, I was involved in a little bit of everything growing up. Like I was one of those people that you know kind of tried my hand at all kinds of sports and theater and music and instruments and nothing really stuck with me. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I was, you know, kind of like a jack of all trades, master master of none sort of situation. Um, But like the one hobby that I always had, you know, growing up was reading. Um, And I read prolifically and, um, you know, that was always, that's always been my huge comfort. And then I moved around 
quite a bit as an adolescent. So I moved to California um, during high school, and I ended up going to three different high schools, um, and then moved to North Carolina, um, which is like the South in the USA, um, for college. And then I kind of one day stumbled into dentistry. I I wasn't really sure what I wanted to be <laughs> when I grew up, um, and I think I think I almost had like a limited view on the world, like. I thought people were, you know, people were doctors, people were teachers. Like I didn't have like a lot of, I, I think I was really naive in not or not knowing what jobs were out there and stuff. And so I kind of just always thought I'd end up being a doctor. Um, and then I was doing an internship and I had like a really horrifying experience um, mm. shadowing somebody in family medicine. And it was just like, I mean, it was a comedy of errors, honestly. And, you know, I was just like, what is going on? Um, and so I was like, this definitely is not for me. And then I had a chance to um, shadow a dentist and I went into that and I was like, this is going to be the single most boring thing I, you know, <laughs> in the world. Because I was like, who likes dentists? Who likes teeth? Like, that's such a weird thing. And then um, I ended up like, you know, I ended up staying that entire day in the office and I just fell in love with it. Um, there was so much like positive patient interaction and there was so much um, artistry and creativity to it. And that's what really drew me to it. Um, you're working with your hands constantly. Um, you know, so many of the procedures are, you know, require almost like in a in a weird way, like a sense of sculpting or like, you know, artistry in that sense. And so I looked into it more and I started shadowing more and more. And I was like, okay, this, this actually might be a really great fit. And then... Um, I pursued that and ended up going to dental school. And so I started in the fall of 2018. Um, and then when mm -hmm. I got there, I had a very nice um, quarter life crisis. And I was like, wait, I don't actually know what I'm doing with my life. Um, but I think I was just kind of unprepared for how stressful and demanding the curriculum would be. Um, I was kind of one of those people that was like always able to... Um, do really well with not as much effort, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, like that did not prepare me at all for this. And so I got to dental school and I just had to work my butt off. But then I was also like, oh my gosh, you know, am I sure this is what I want to do with my life? Am I sure this is what I, I want and need? Um, and, you know, after a lot of soul searching and stuff, I kind of stumbled into writing um, professionally and it was because um, it was always something that I enjoyed as a hobby, but I I decided to kind of pursue that. And then I had a lot of come to Jesus moments and um, decided to, you know, see my dental school career through. And I'm so glad that I did stick with it um, because I'm graduating in May. So I'll have my degree then. Um, and I fell back in love with the career, you know, through these past couple of years and actually getting to work with patients um, and getting more experience and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, it was a tumultuous journey and, you know, a lot of questioning and stuff. But, um, yeah, it's been it's been fun and <laughs> it's been a, a wild experience. Yeah, it's really great to hear um, that you had a few stumbling blocks and you had to overcome them. And uh, when you came to writing, did it come naturally to you? Yeah, it it did. It felt very natural. It was, I think, um, you know, I've always, 
I've always journaled. I've always like written or told myself stories, but it was never something I like, I never finished a project. Right. Like, and I never considered it as doing it, doing it professionally. Um, it was purely just like a fun therapeutic thing to do. Um, and my boyfriend, he really encouraged me because I was reading so much. So part of the stress that first year, um, I was experiencing like really high anxiety levels and like depression and things like that. And um, with that, I was having really bad insomnia. So I was, you know, sleeping like three, four hours a night. Um, and, you know, during that time I was just reading, you know, book after book. So I was reading like two, two novels a day because I just wasn't sleeping. Mm. Um, and my boyfriend was like, you should try writing. Like you're always, you know, like, scribbling in your notebooks and stuff like that like and you're you know you he, he was yeah he just really encouraged me to try and I was like I don't know what I would write about like you know a depressed person in dental school and he's like yeah you could start there <laughs> and um and you know what I I did it and like the very first thing I wrote was really depressed and it was just like this very dark like scene of somebody walking into this job that they hate and stuff. Um, but it reacquainted me with how fun it was to play with words and to kind of, you know, frolic and, you know, reshape sentences and even just do that process. Um, and so then I was like, okay, what if I look at this and, you know, tell a story of people that feel lost, like I feel lost, but, you know, they end up finding their passions and like pursuing them unabashedly wholeheartedly. Um, and it felt, you know, it, it, it just like, it poured out of me after that. And it was the first story I ever finished, um, which is going to be my, my debut novel, Brush With Love. Um, but yeah, I mean, at that point it did feel like it came naturally because I just felt um, it felt so good to be involved in a story that I knew there was going to be this happy ending and I knew people were, were going to find happiness and passion and fulfillment in what they were doing. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really therapeutic in a lot of ways. And as you mentioned, you had a great support from your boyfriend. And uh, when it comes to your colleagues and mentors, how did you find um, uh, the environment in dental, dental school? Did you find it... Uh supportive um you know i i don't want to speak badly on it um it wasn't the most supportive environment and i think that's why i felt a little lost um i went from like a very small liberal arts college where i felt you know really supported like i had a really great network of mentors and things like that um and then getting to dental school um, I didn't, I didn't have that as much. Like I wasn't connecting with people. I'm, I have ADHD, I'm autistic. Um, so, you know, social interactions in general can sometimes be really challenging for me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I didn't necessarily feel like I had that support system, um, which I think is a huge reason why too, I got so involved in, um, the book and reading community. You know, it was during this time that I started, um, a bookstagram account that was, you know, specifically focused on reviewing romance novels. And I met some of my dearest, dearest friends. Like we're, you know, I talk to these people every day now. We, we plan trips to see each other, but like, it was kind of in that community that I found um, the the friendships and like the sense of belonging that I was really missing in my life. And I think that's why it felt so natural to pursue that goal of writing. Um, 
because I was so supported among those people. Um, and I think, you know, after you know, I'm, I'm in my fourth year now of dental school and I've definitely found my neat, my, my group of friends and like, you know, the people that are very supportive of me and I'm very close with them and stuff, but it took me a really long time to get to that point. So can you tell us what is your novel, A Brush With Love, about and how did you come to writing it? Um, so it's a romantic comedy um, that focuses on two dental students, Harper and Dan. Harper is in her fourth and final year, um, and she is anxiously awaiting placement in a top oral surgery program. Uh, Dan is a clueless first year um, that's kind of begrudgingly in dental school to, you know, out of, and he's there out of guilt um, to fulfill this sense of obligation and legacy of his, um, you know, his father's career path. Um, and so the two <laughs> trade fillings for feelings as they <laughs> navigate, <laughs> as they navigate, you know, the messiness of, of being an adult and not really being sure what that means or what it entails. Um, and, you know, the, a huge focus on the book is Harper, um, has a mental illness. She has chronic anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder. And, um, it was really a look at learning to love yourself and accept love from others um, when you don't feel easy to love. And in a lot of ways, you know, having anxiety, you you really do tell yourself worst case scenarios and you convince yourself of a lot of lies because, you know, you have this anxiety just flooding through you. Um, and so I wanted to take that and look at that and what it would be like to really work for that happy ending and opening yourself up to, um, you know, being accepted and, and loved by others, but also loving yourself. And then, you know, a huge also component of it is um, both are my main characters go on a journey of self-discovery of what their personal passions are and how they need to contend with their own wants and like expectations that are placed on them. I really love the title of your book, A Brush With Love. It can even be uh, thinking you can put on a Christmas card if you put a comma after brush. A brush with love. So how did you come up with it? Oh my gosh, you know what's so funny? Um, I, I truly believe I must be the worst at titles because every book so far, I've had to come up with a different title with my editor. Um this book went through a brush with love went through probably 10 different names, which is so <laughs> funny. Um, you know, it was originally called, um, lessons in love and pulling teeth. And then people were like, no, you cannot have pulling teeth in your, in your title. And then <laughs> I later, I know, I'm like, yeah, awful marketing. Right. And then I played with the idea of, um, sweet tooth. And then everybody's like, that sounds like a baking novel. And I was like, okay. And then um, Tongue Tied was a contender for a while. But then once the book got picked up, I was told um, that the the marketing and sales team didn't want any um, any of the words dentist, teeth, tongue, or mouth in the title. And I was like, okay, that really doesn't leave me with a lot. And so I was like, you know, on the phone with my agent and we were like brainstorming. We were trying to come up with so many different ideas. Um, we probably sent over like a list of 20 other ones. Um, and like none of them were really sticking. And then all of a sudden, I think it's, I think it was like the president of, um, St. Martin's, um, you know, approached my editor and was like, have you thought of like a brush with love? And 
we just fell in love with that. And we were like, I was so ashamed as a dentist. I didn't even have one title that used brush in it. Like I didn't even think of that. And I was like, it's just like the fundamental of my career. And I didn't even, I didn't even put that together. And, um, and so, yeah, that's, that's how it came to be. And I'm just, yeah, at this point, I'm just obsessed with it. And I love um, the cover too has like the toothpaste font where it's written out and everything. And um, I've, I've been so, so happy with, you know, all of the, the creativity that's gone into it um, with my publishing team. So I'm very lucky that they're much more clever than I am. I know that the word moist also gets bad reputation among <laughs> marketing teams. I don't really know why, but it, it looks doesn't like... bother me. Yeah, moist does not bother me. It, it really <laughs> triggers some people. <laughs> so, do your readers have to have a training in dentistry to follow your story? No, not at all. I because I mean, like that's kind of you know. I feel like. I don't know if it is in everybody's world, but, you know, a running joke or like something I experience a lot is like, you know, people say like dentists aren't real doctors, dentists are crooks, like things like that. And so it's kind of an occupational hazard and nobody really wants to go to the dentist, right? Like you have the rare people that enjoy it and really like getting their teeth cleaned and stuff. But for the most part, like people aren't happy to be there. And so I really wanted to write it with the unique setting, but make it accessible. So there's like some talk about it, um, but I tried to keep it, yeah, like I said, really accessible, kind of light, um, and more just try to have like it feel a little bit more universal for pursuing something that's really hard, whether it's like, you know, a graduate school program or just even, you know, any type of career that really challenges you and forces you to dedicate so much of yourself to it. Um, And then I'm also hyper aware of the fact that like, the dentist is very anxiety inducing for a lot of people, like, which I totally get. Like, it, if you really break it down, it's a weird thing. Like, I spend my day with my fingers in people's mouths. Like, that is such an intimate, like, thing. Like, you have to have so much trust with that. And so I get why there's so much anxiety. And so I didn't want, um, I didn't want readers to be like, you know, triggered by that or be like having to put it down because it was like too much detail and all of that. So I kept it light. Um, but, you know, I did make sure to throw in as many like oral puns and jokes in there as I was allowed to. (laughs) So how autobiographical is a book? How much is it based on your life in the graduate uh, school in dental school? I get that question a lot. Um, I think that was the first thing my grandma asked me. And it's like, it is not based on, on my life or like any particular moments in dental school. I think, um, I took, I took a lot of like the feelings of stress, like that's, you know, a a lot of that is what I experienced. Um, But like, you know, their journey and their, you know, their love story and their personal journeys too, to like self-actualization is totally and completely their own. Um, And, and it was really actually fun to see it because they almost, they, they almost felt very, well, they did feel very real to me too. So it felt like I was watching two of my friends in dental school and like watching their journey. And I was like, oh my God, they can do it. I can do it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It was like a weird, you know, meta moment, but um, yeah, I mean, it's the, the stress and like the experience of having an anxiety disorder comes from my own personal experiences with that. Um, you know, I've been treated for an anxiety disorder since I was 12, so I really drew upon that. But um, 
even even Harper's experience with anxiety and panic syndromes is is uniquely her own. Um, because yeah, I didn't want to I didn't want to insert myself too much into my characters because they do feel very um, they they come out feeling very fully formed to me and kind of like unique people. So um, yeah, unfortunately, there's no you know I didn't have like that group of friends or anything when I was first starting off dental school, but um, I'm glad that they have it. So uh, despite being quite accessible and light, um, as you put it, and you've done a really uh, great job with that, you still address some of the really important issues in your book. So you already mentioned generalized anxiety disorder. So what other issues do you want to address and why? Well, a big theme is um, sexism in, in the medical field. And I was really, really stunned, um, you know, being in school and realizing how, um, how much misogyny still exists. Um, you know, I think, I think my graduating class is majority, um, women, which, and this is the first time, um, I think in my school's history, but there is still so much gender bias in in how you're treated and stuff like that um you know a lot of a lot of faculty is older white males um and i think that there's you know just kind of this undercurrent um and i think even outside of the school environment like i've i've been interviewing for um jobs for after i graduate and i had somebody say to me um you know i'm i I was I wasn't even going to offer you an interview because you're a woman, and you know historically women um, will work for two years after dental school, get pregnant, and then be housewives. So it's like a poor investment on my part. Mm. And I was just like horrified by that, you know. And I was like, I, I don't know. I just and there's a lot of um, you know I, I don't know how explicit I can speak, but there's like a lot of. Um, you know, sexual harassment that I see too. And it's almost like the way it's in court, like it's very subtle, like, or, or sometimes it's not so subtle. Like somebody, um, you know, told, told a colleague of mine that like, it probably helped her that she looked so effable, um, in, in interviews, like helped her get as far as she has in her career and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I think that was a really important topic that I wanted to discuss because you see that in, you know, so many fields, um, you know, any office environment, I think, is still combating issues of, of sexism. Um, and so I just, I was surprised at how rampant and like kind of obvious it was um, in, in, in my experience. Yes, for sure. And these issues, uh, we need to speak about them. We need to really mm-hmm. spe- speak out, not to uh, brush them the rug as yeah. it is. I can, yeah, and I think the more that you like start a conversation and a dynamic about that, the more kind of empowered you are to speak up in a moment where it's happening to you, right? Even if you're observing a situation, if if you feel more comfortable, like you've spoken with other people that have gone through similar things, like you're more willing to intervene or you know be a support for somebody that might be experiencing it if they're not comfortable speaking up for themselves in that moment. So I think it's super important that we have open. And, and honest conversations about about what it's like and how hard it is. So you uh, also cover some mental health and mental illness issues. Mm-hmm. So uh, can you describe uh, a few of them? 
Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I have a slew of them myself. (laughs) I am, um, I'm, so I have autism and ADHD, which are, um, you know, neurodiversities and just differences in like how I'm cognitively developed. Um, but a lot of, um, uh, comorbidities with that are anxiety and depression, um, which I've experienced, you know, on and off throughout my life. Um, and anxiety was actually a huge way, um, that my ADHD manifested. Um, I, I remember having my first panic attack when I was seven years old and I was in first grade and I was, you know, I was supposed to take like this reading comprehension quiz on, on a book. And I just had a total meltdown because Mm. I, I, you know, I, and I was so little, you know, like I just think back to that little seven-year-old who thought her heart was going to burst out of her chest. And like, you know, I mean, and my entire life, like I've always just kind of had that undercurrent of, you know, not, not sure I'm keeping up, not being able to stay organized, like a lot of executive dysfunction. Um, and so I think because, um, my parents and, you know, my mom, she was always such like an advocate for me and did so much to get me to therapists and, you know, medications and things like that to help me. Um, and I think because I was always, um, you know, I always felt accepted by my parents because of it. Um, it was something that I felt really comfortable talking about. And I've realized over the years as I've gotten older that a lot of people aren't comfortable talking about, you know, anxiety or depression or even having ADHD or autism, um, which I think is a shame because it, they are so, they're so, they're such common experiences. Um, you know, even if you don't have like a disorder with it, I feel like almost everybody goes through a period of really bad anxiety or depression. And like, if we, again, have those conversations about it, we can create support systems and um, really help to destigmatize that so we can, you know, work together to feel better as people. Um, And so I wanted to, and I also think like there's a lot of, because of that stigma, there's a lot of challenges and difficulties in connecting with people or being vulnerable with people and admitting that you're going through those things. Um, So it was really important to me through writing to kind of show um, love and acceptance for for every type of brain. Um, And, you know, that's something I, I plan to continue doing with future works too. And what were the easiest or hardest topics for you to write about? Um, oh, that's a good question. I think what felt, you know, writing, writing about, you know, writing a character with anxiety felt really therapeutic. Um, but in some instances, because I wanted to do justice to the experience of somebody with general, generalized anxiety disorder, um, I had to really sit in my discomfort um, in moments when I was very anxious or having panic, um, or I had to think back on them too, you know? So I was trying to capture like the physicality and like the the physiological reaction that you're having and how, you know, sometimes it can get so bad that you really do feel like you're dying. And so a lot of times that was really hard to like go there. Um, and access those feelings and, you know, put them on paper. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that I, I did that um, because I've, I've spoken with readers, particularly those that also have mental illnesses. And um, I'm, 
I'm so humbled and like very pleased to hear that a lot of people feel seen and like feel a connection to Harper's experience with anxiety, um, which makes it so worth it. Um, and then I think, you know, in, in, in an alternate, like alternatively, it felt, um, it felt good to be honest about um, the sexism that like mm. is, you know, experiencing because it was like, it, it, it that is one of those things where we really, really don't talk about it. And like, it, and sometimes it is so subtle that you're like, I, do I even have a right to be upset about like what was said to me or what just happened? Um, and so it felt really empowering to get that on the page. And like, you know, it was just kind of like, you know, angry typing at like, you know, midnight where I'm just like going in and everything, but it just felt good to be honest about it, you know? And I was like, finally, like I'm expressing, I don't care if anybody tells me I'm overreacting, you know, it was like one of those moments. So that felt really good to get out and everything. And then, um, you know, I think one of the harder portions of it is I, Dan is, is going through a lot of grief, um, right. And like, he's experiencing a lot of, um, guilt too with that. And, and that was really hard to write. Um, because I think that those are really, those are really painful emotions to sit in and, you know, they're very universal. Um, but guilt, guilt hurts and like guilt can really cloud the way the decisions that you're making and your motivations. Um, and it can be frustrating to watch somebody who, you know, makes a lot of sacrifices out of guilt or makes bad choices out of guilt. And I felt that a lot when writing Dan's character where I was like, I just wanted to shake him at certain points and be like, (laughs) stop it, like live your life for you. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. And so, you know, that was, that was tricky, but, um, I felt like it it helped me grow and it was like a really good challenge to undertake. Oh, I would love to read one of those first drafts when you're screaming <laughs> at the screen. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll put it in a blog post where I'm just like, yeah, losing it. <laughs> so this, this aspect, this accessibility is um, really quite outstanding. So why do you think the novel is a really a good medium to introduce people uh, to these uh, topics and make them think about them? Um, well, personally, I think so. It's it's classified as a rom com, right? And there's a huge um, discussion and debate that kind of comes up all the time about like what what makes something a romantic comedy, right? So you have to have the happily ever after. You have to have a central love story, and it's supposed to be funny. But I think that there's like this concept that um, there can't be humor and laughter and lightness at the same time of there being, you know, difficulties or challenges um, in life. And I just don't think that's realistic of of the real world. Like I, um, I laugh constantly. I joke around constantly. Like I just, I really do love to laugh. I, you know, I, I, I try to surround myself with funny people, um, but that doesn't change the fact that I also have, you know, painful emotions at the same time, same as anybody else. Um, and so I really wanted to um, merge those two ideas together, that it's not like mutually exclusive, right? Like you can have comedy even on your worst days, like something bad can happen and you can still find something that makes you laugh or have somebody there that makes you laugh or makes you feel joy. Um and then I also felt like knowing that there's this guaranteed happy ending um, 
really makes it so it's not this story of like trauma or tragedy, but it's this journey and it's healing. Um, Because I don't think, you know, stories of sexism or stories of grief or stories of mental illness need to end in despair because, um, you know, we can grow from those things and we can learn and we can become fighters through it and everything like that. And so um, I just thought it was, you know, having that that goal of a happy ending was a really great guiding tool in, in my character's journey and their own, you know, feelings and like working through their grief while also having just like fun and joy and laughter and love and, you know, learning to love each other and themselves in the midst of these painful feelings is like a really important thing. Um, Because when you're going through grief or you're going through a bout of depression or you've been, you know, experiencing high anxiety, you don't necessarily necessarily feel lovable. You know, those are, those are hard things um, to deal with. And feel self-love and that you deserve love from others. But, you know, kind of fighting against that concept and that lie that we tell ourselves um, was a huge goal of mine through this book. And so, um, I mean, hopefully, hopefully I I was able to successfully do that. Um, But yeah, I just, I really did want to show like the contrast of, of lightness and darkness that, you know, we experience every day. So in your book, you have quite extensive dialogues between the characters. So how did you go about composing these? Because seemingly the um, dialogues are the hardest to write, aren't they? Well, uh, for me personally, it's it was the easiest part. Like, I heard their voices so clearly. Like, it it was like watching a movie in my head. It was very bizarre experience um, to really get into that zone. But like, you know, I could hear their tone and inflection and it was almost like I was just kind of transcribing what they were already telling me. Like it was a very, um, I don't even know how to, what the right term is for it, but like it didn't necessarily feel like things where I had to like pull words from them or like create conversations or these dynamics. Like it just, the dialogue was kind of almost the basis of all the scenes that I wrote. And then I went back through and was writing, um, you know, like the internal feelings, creating setting around those conversations because they just, they, they were just talking so much to me and to each other. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was kind of bizarre. (laughs) And what about the pacing of this story? Yeah, I think that was one of like, so this being the first project that I fully finished, I think that was like, that was one of the greater challenges. And honestly, so I'm I'm finishing up writing my, my fourth novel right now. Um, and pacing is still one of the hardest things because it's like, you know, when you're in that drafting zone, you're like, you know, you think, oh my gosh, I got to move, 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 move. And so you leave out all of this tension sometimes, or then other times, like you'll have a scene drag on for six pages. I'm like, oh my God, she just walked up a flight of stairs. Like there is no need for this to get this extensive, you know? And so um, it's it's almost like a puzzle or, or a game to, to figure out how to get it right. Um, and it's definitely not something I ever go into a first draft expecting to get down pat. Um I definitely have beats that I'm expecting to hit while I'm writing chapters and stuff like that. But pacing is something I focus on in in later drafts. And like, um, you know, I want to keep I, I want to really um, explore like emotions and, um, you know, kind of like this, it, a lot of internal conflict, which 
you know, does slow pacing down a bit. Um, but I was hoping to keep it flipping along with that dialogue and, you know, their interactions and experiences and stuff like that. And now thinking about the big picture, why is it important for you to advocate on the topics that you write about? I, you know, I, I don't think I went into it um, seeing myself as an advocate. It was, it was more like I was just trying to write something that's reflective of, um, of my life and my world. Um, I've, I think that but the more that I kind of opened myself up to it and the more um, I started talking about my personal experiences, like on my, um, you know, my my bookstagram account and like, you know, discussing how romance and reading and writing was helping my, um, you know, my darker times with mental illness, um, more and more people were contacting me privately or, you know, commenting and and saying how they feel so similarly or like, you know, I'm putting into words what they've been grappling with. Um, And that was so, and continues to be so um, incredibly humbling um, because I, I guess I just don't, um, I don't care enough to like hide. I don't feel like shame for the things that I experience with um, any of my mental illnesses or neurodiversities um, because they are just fundamental to who I am. Um, and so if I can, you know, speak up and like discuss the truth of my experiences and make other people feel seen like that is, that's a huge honor and, and, and a tremendous privilege. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that opportunity um, because I don't want anybody to feel ashamed for the way that they're wired because it's just, it is the way that it is. And, um, you know, there is no... There is no perfect balance of emotions or no perfect way to process things. Um, and we shouldn't put, you know, stigma on it. Like we don't, we don't stigmatize um, a lot of physical ailments, right? But we do with uh, mental. And I just think that that's so silly and so um, counterintuitive because our mental health is so fundamental to everything that we do. And what do you think we should do next in our society or perhaps from your experience uh, in the in the dental school, in the higher education to improve the situation for people? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have so many thoughts on how higher education can be more conducive to mental health. I think, um, you know, it, it, it kind of depends on the field, but I think there's a lot of accessibility issues. Um, I think that there's kind of a lack of grace in understanding when people need to set boundaries or step back from, um, you know, intense work to take care of themselves. Um, I think that we, you know, like our educational system, even, you know, K through 12 or things like that, where we are understanding if students need to take sick days or mental health days to just take care of themselves because that's when they function better is when they're well taken care of. Um, and then they ca- can come to school or, you know, be in a learning environment and, and flourish more in that situation. Um, but as you know, if you're, if you're stressed or you're depressed or you're anxious, you're not going to be productive and then you're going to feel worse about yourself. You know, like it's just like this very vicious cycle that we, we kind of feed into in both 
our educational structure and our working structure. Um, but as you know, at, in in regards to society, I do think that you know people being willing to express their struggles and like just kind of approach it with an openness um, and you know a sense of grace and softness for themselves um, can really do wonders and inspire other people to to also be kind to themselves about it and to um, be open and discuss uh, when, when they're hurting or when they need extra support or when they need a break from things. Um, so again, yeah, I mean, conversations is huge. And then, you know, one thing that I do think that, you know, don't get me wrong, this pandemic has been terrible, but one thing that I do think has been um, a nice outcome is a lot of uh, therapy has turned into teletherapy, um, which, you know, in in some ways can make it a lot more accessible for people where you're not having to either, you know, commute into an office or take, you know, quite as much time off to go and sit in a physical meeting. Like if you're able to, you know, I do therapy from bed and, you know, I'm like sitting there with my blankets and like I'm at my peak comfort and like sense of safety. And I think that that is just like huge too. Um, and so I appreciate that aspect where we have, you know, teletherapy and like, um, you know, we can do that over a video call and stuff like that. But, you know, and then obviously there's a lot of healthcare changes that we need. And I think therapy should be um, easily accessible for all people. Um, you know, there's a lot of issues on, um, you know, socioeconomic status kind of determines how available therapy is to you. Um, and I think that that really needs to change because I think, um, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't limit what pe what help people can get, um, just by how much money they make or, or things of that nature, or what kind of insurance they have. We need to really advocate for better, um, healthcare for, for everybody. So what discoveries along your journey to writing your book, A Brush With Love, surprised you the most? Um... I think I was just surprised that I could actually finish writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, so well, I hope I don't sound like a broken record. One of the things is um, with ADHD is I get super um, hyper-focused on some shiny new thing, right? And like, whether it's knitting or watercolors or embroidery or cross-stitch or like, you know, woodworking. I get so excited and I go out and I buy all of these materials and I just like dive head first into this new hobby, right? And it's just hyper-focus, hyper-focus, hyper-focus. And then you almost burn out from like, you know, being so into it that you don't finish mm. things. Like that's a huge problem with, you know, executive dysfunction. And that's something like – you know, it's been until I got my ADHD diagnosis, it was like a, a like a running joke. I mean, it's still a running joke because we can laugh about it. But like my family was always like, you, you know, you need this instant gratification, but you also don't finish any of these like hobbies that you undertake. Like I have so many unfinished craft projects just shoved into a closet. <laughs> and like so many of them were like Christmas gifts for my boyfriend. Like, unfortunately, that's where a lot of the unfinished projects come in. Closet so of shame. <laughs> Yes, yep. it really truly is. Like we walk by it and sometimes he's like, one of these days, you know, I'm going to get gifted like 10 years worth of uh, birthday Christmas <laughs> presents. I'm like, yeah, we'll see if I ever get the energy to finish them. But, um, you know, that, it, that did feel really empowering to 
to finish this story. And like, um, especially in the midst of being, you know, working on getting my doctorate and things like that, um, to be able to, to really see it through. And then, you know, not only did I finish writing it, but then I, I went back and rewrote so much of it so many times. Um, and so I think that that was like a huge self-discovery and like a huge, um, I've never felt more fulfilled than when I'm, I'm writing. Like it's, um, it, it really was just like things clicked into place and I just felt so energized and fulfilled and just so excited about it. Um, and, you know, I still feel that way too. So, it, you know, it is like just, it felt like finding myself in a lot of ways and finding like a very pure form of joy. Um, so it's, it's just been the greatest gift. I, I, I'm so happy I get to write. So how many dentistry puns can our listeners expect to find in your book? <laughs> oh man. Um, I lost count somewhere along the way. I had to, <laughs> I had to edit some out even cause it was like getting too cheesy. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, there's a there's a fair amount in there, um, and I'm very proud of all of <laughs> all of them, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, I you know I I tried to keep it like a tasteful amount of uh, <laughs> dental puns in there. <laughs> and then, who would be your star cast to play Harper and Dan in the movie? Oh my God, I love I love imagining this too. Um, because it seems like such like an unrealistic pipe dream, but like, you know, I have a Pinterest board with just like, just photos and photos and photos of what I envision these two to look like. But um, as far as celebrities go, um, Dakota Johnson, um, she at one point, I don't know what role it was, but she had short, like um, chin length hair with straight across bangs, which is very much like Harper's look and everything. And it, and her hair was black at the time too. And so when I saw that picture, I was like, oh my God, like that's, you know, like that's my Harper mm. and stuff like that. Um, and then, and I think she also would really pull off kind of that anxious dynamic, but also very funny, very witty. Um, and then as far as like Dan goes, you know, it's, it's hard to cast somebody that <laughs> I just think is so cute. Um, but I would say, um, looks wise I kind of would picture a little bit of um Sean Mendez like that singer um but there's also this Turkish um uh soap opera star he's in a lot of Dizzy's named Sirkin and I think that he would just like really blow it away so I'd love to see, see him but honestly even just the idea of it being made into a movie like it doesn't matter who they cast <laughs> no those two definitely would work absolutely yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. we've taken up a lot of your time. So can you tell us what are you currently working on and what will be your next project? Yeah, so um, I, I'm plugging away at this point. Um, I was lucky enough to get another. So this original, um, when they originally picked up A Brush With Love, they also picked up a second book with it, um, which is in the same universe. It's um, And book two is um, the, t the, the title. I think I can share this now. It's It's not like totally public yet but um it's called lizzie blake's best mistake and it um it chronicles Har one of harper's best friends lizzie um and she without getting into too many details she kind of finds herself in a, a she's a baker and she accidentally stumbles into kind of this black market underground erotic baking business um and oh, wow. things yeah it's it's very kooky um 
it, you know, she derailed all plans that I had for her from the start. Um, but it's a really fun um, novel, and that's set to come out next fall. Um, I'm, I think, in September 2022. Um, and then I can't speak on it too much yet, but there is a third book in the in that same universe and another one of the friends. And then um, I'm actually putting on my finishing touches to a draft on my first young adult novel. Um, and I am so, so excited about this one um, because it, it features an ADHD heroine and um, an autistic hero. And it just is this huge celebration of neurodivergent love and like finding finding people that just really get you exactly as you are. Um, and it has been just, it's it's been so wonderful to work on. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot back to kind of who I was as a teenager and like the loneliness I felt or like the difficulty I felt in connecting with people. And I'm just so um, thrilled with this project and like hoping that, you know, my characters can be relatable representation for anybody else that kind of feels that disconnect with their peers and stuff. So I'm, I'm so excited. And I think that will be in uh, 2023. Oh, these sound so exciting. Looking forward. <laughs> oh, thank you. So where can our listeners find more information about you and your book? Uh, I can be found on um, www.mazieeddings.com. Um, it's M-A-Z-E-Y. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram at Maisie Eddings. Um, and then, <laughs> oh my God, I always cringe when I uh, have to say this, but my Twitter handle is um, OxyGrandpa27. Um, and I think it's also the same for TikTok. I wasn't like thinking, you know, professional author wise when I set those up um, <laughs> back in the day. Um, so yeah, that's where, where I am. But I'm, you know, as far as social media goes, I'm primarily on Instagram. Um, and then my book is um, sold anywhere books are sold um, and definitely support your local indie bookshop. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your Twitter handle as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I think it's one of the best I heard. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm reluctant to change it. Honestly, I just feel like it fits my uh, personality. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It has been this has been so wonderful. And I, I just really appreciate getting the chance to talk with you.